Amen. Well, why don't you have a seat, Henning? Thanks for giving us some lights there. Well, welcome. It's uh, great to see you again. Thankfully, it's Sunday again, so we all get together. This morning, we have a special uh, treat to uh, have Dave and Anita Workman. They're from the Cincinnati Vineyard. Uh, Dave has been on staff there for part of that church for 30 years. And uh, this is going to be a little bit of a struggle for Dave to preach here this morning because he normally has uh, six services to warm up with. Uh, their church is 6,000 people. He does seven services on a weekend. So by the seventh service, you've got to kind of lickety-slick. But yeah, he's only got one shot today. So uh, if you'll just uh, give Dave some grace and uh, cheer him along, it'll be great. But uh, I'm just delighted for us, for you, uh, to hear Dave. And uh, it's a thrill for us to have somebody from the Cincinnati Vineyard uh, be here today and just uh, preach and share. So Dave, come on up. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing you. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> we don't. Uh, we actually don't do seven services. We did, and then we got a bigger building, which made it easier. So we're down to four services. But um, we had a uh, once did a top ten list that was uh, top ten things about the end times in the vineyard in Cincinnati, and one of them was rapture happens, vineyard cuts back to three services. You can think about that on your way home. Anyway, we're thrilled to, thrilled to be here, and thank you guys for inviting us. We absolutely love Rob and Liz, and they're amazing, and we're just honored that they invited us up. And uh, boy, this is, uh, Massachusetts is beautiful. Wow. Man, I could move here. I could move here in a heartbeat. How many of you have ever been to Cincinnati? Really? Why? Why did you do that? Cincinnati uh, is actually listed. Oh, I was going to give a book away. Can I still do that? They're in your office, though. I'm going to give some of your books away. I'll be, uh, I'll be right back. Okay, so uh, so I brought a couple books to give away, but it's a it's it's like a contest. Who here knows Rob's middle name? First one who knows that, you get a free book. No, not what was that? Did you say that? Yeah, that's it. Wait, are you related? No. Okay. <laughs> that's for, oh, you're the bookkeeper. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Uh, name something about Cincinnati. Okay, you said in Ohio, you you get a, a book. Here you go. Here you go. Just go. That's pretty good. All right. That's all I got. <laughs> That's it. Well, um, yeah, my name's Dave, and um, what I do now is I serve as a, a regional leader for uh, Vineyard USA, and uh, that's the part of the tribe that we're all in, and that just feels like home to be here. It doesn't matter where, what vineyard I'm in, and, and uh, that's about a, a network of 550 or so churches across the U.S., so we're just a, really a small, a small pond. 
And in our particular region, which is called the Great Lakes region, which I think the nearest Great Lake is, what, 400 miles away? I don't know why we're called that, but we are. Um, there's about uh, 40 churches. So my main job is just to keep pastors from jumping off ledges and running naked through Fountain Square going crazy. So that's, that's what I do. So I recently stepped down from uh, uh, being the senior pastor there. It's a big, messy church. And... Uh, and I felt that I felt like God spoke to me and said, it's time to turn it over to next generation leadership. So uh, my wife and I have been a part of the church for 30 years. And, but I've discovered that following Jesus is uh, so much about letting go, isn't it? You're always letting go of something. And obedience trumps sacrifice any day of the week. So wasn't raised in a Christian home. was not raised in a church family or anything. My mom and dad were... Uh, they had a difficult marriage, and uh, dad was an alcoholic, and blah, blah, blah. And, and when I left home, um, I was playing, uh, I'm, I'm a musician. Even worse, I'm a drummer. And, and so I was playing music. Perf- yeah, thank you, thank you. And I was playing, I was living in, in Cincinnati. My folks lived back in Kentucky. And so, uh, so the weirdest thing happened while I was away from, while I moved away from home, and I was playing music professionally and so forth, and, and, uh, I went home to see my parents once, and they had become Jesus freaks. It was the weirdest thing in the world. You, you know what I, what I mean? And, uh, and all they talked about then was Jesus, which was never mentioned in my house. I, it was like aliens had come and sucked their little brains out and did something. And uh, so one day I'm, I'm there, I'm visiting, and uh, my mom is just, Jesus says, Jesus that blah, 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 Jesus, blah, 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 blah. And I remember, you know, when you're 20-something, you think you know everything. So I said, don't you ever talk to me about Jesus again. Never. And slammed the door, and I drove home. And then about a month later, you know, I cooled down, and I went back to see him because they had food, and I was a musician. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, she didn't say anything about Jesus, but she said, you got to listen to this tape by this person. And it was some other guy talking about Jesus. So uh, they were really listening. At some point, I gave up. So one day, Jesus is talking to his guys, and he's talking about how all of us carbon-based bipeds, we, we push and shove to get recognized and to get noticed. And then suddenly, in reference to himself, here's what Jesus says. He says, oh, I got a little thing. Tell me, I'm sorry. Oh, you're supposed to leave that on there, aren't you? Uh, so, so he's talking and he says, for even the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, referring to himself. And then over a few, you know, just a few years later, Jesus is, of course, crucified, he's resurrected. He shows up kind of unannounced behind, you know, while the disciples are scared for their lives and they're behind locked doors and, and, uh, and he appears And he breathes on them. And then he says this, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. In other words, that tells us a whole lot about how we're to operate as followers of Jesus, doesn't it? Where even I, the Son of Man, didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so here's the deal. Let's get really honest here. You 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 can tell me your story later. Uh, Vineyards can be really kind of odd places, and they attract odd people. Um, 
Yeah, they just uh, do. So years ago, we did this church-wide survey, and we discovered that uh, we seem to be uh, off the chart with emotionally troubled people at our church. And in um, leadership books, will tell you that organizations often begin to look like their leaders, you know, after a while. So we developed this booming recovery ministry. It's really, really important for us to get this going. And, and partly because of that, one of the things that we wanted to create was a culture that was servant-oriented, you know, because we, we, we felt like we believed that serving others is uh, one of the most powerful vitamins for spiritual and emotional health. Moving, because all you're doing on this path of discipleship is moving from an inward focus to an outward focus. That's all it really is when you think about it. From an inward focus to an outward, it becomes all about God, all about Him, all about others. Love God, all your heart, love your neighbor's self, right? And so we defined a disciple in our place really, really simple. A surrendered and transformed person who loves God and others. So if I, can just, if I could just get people along that path, then I'd be happy. Just, you know, we surrender, God transforms, and then we love uh, him and others. Now, I don't know what it's like here in Hopkinton, but in Cincinnati, uh, folks are pretty skeptical about churches and Christians in particular. And, and uh and if you ask the average not yet believer in Cincinnati what they think of, of about church, you get kind of the typical responses. Well, you know, really they're a bunch of hypocrites or, you know, they're just so judgmental or they're mean or they're cheap or whatever. So we did a series. It was one of my favorite series years ago called Jesus Loves You. Everyone else thinks you're a jerk. And um, <laughs> we, we felt like we needed to retrain our people to uh, just because the church just has such terrifically bad PR, right? So we, what we did, we interviewed a waitress from a local, uh, you have Chili's up here, the restaurant Chili's? Yeah. So we interviewed this waitress from Chili's, which is right not far from the church. And she wasn't a believer. And we asked her, what's it like working on Sundays when the church people come in? And it was like, she came loaded for bear. And she just, you know, she just... Uh, went for it and gave us an earful. And she said that none of her coworkers want to work on Sundays. None of them. Because she said, you church people, you have terrible reputations. She said, you know, you're cheap, you're demanding, and instead of tipping, you leave little brochures about hell. And and you just no one wants to serve you. So have you ever seen this uh, bumper sticker that says, uh, go back one, I'm sorry. Uh, what would Jesus do? I bet he Jesus turn signal. The one I really like was the next one. Uh, he'd tip you freaking cheapskates. Is that our Camry? I think that's our old car. <laughs> so, so that weekend, people were leaving like 20 buck tips and chilies. And her manager, I'm not making any of this up. All my stories are true. Uh, her manager asked her if she could speak in churches every weekend. Uh, and... As a side note, her and her boyfriend, they had a little kid. They uh, started coming to the vineyard and a few years ago. took them a while. They finally surrendered, and she got baptized some time back. But it took a while. So, so we just wondered what would happen if the church was known less for what it's against and less for its politics and less about whining about its rights. And what if we became known more just for being servants? You know, it seems like this one track isn't working, so let's get off that track. Let's try, let's try this one. And what if we became known as the people who just loved others unconditionally? What might that look like? So when we were just a handful of people back in the day, we'd uh, load up groceries and 
put them in the backs of cars and go to projects and knock on the doors. And, and uh, I kid you not, ask if there were any poor people there. We weren't very smart or systemic. But uh, what was happening was our hearts were being broken. And uh, in the church, I'll take broken people over, you know, we've got it all together people any day of the week. So we got hooked on serving and you guys know, you, you, you do this stuff. We began to wonder if there was ways of serving middle class and upper class people who don't really have any real physical needs. What do, you, what do you do there? But we're really far from God. And so in the late 1980s, we started doing free uh, car washes and put up a big banner and say free car wash. And another one down the road that would say no kidding because people are still suspicious. And then we start giving away free Cokes and bottles of water, busy intersections and so on. And, and then it was just walking around the city, picking up trash and by the way, man, it's clean here in Massachusetts. You guys are really kind of obsessive compulsive. About we, we were speaking at a conference in Switzerland. We took teams of people out in Basel, Switzerland to pick up trash. We were fighting over a cigarette butt, you know, that was on the sidewalk. So anything that would just get us out for a couple of hours to get us out of ourselves, out of ourselves and serving others. So Years ago, as a matter of fact, years ago, we were looking to build the current building we're in. We, we were doing seven services then. We were in a building that seated like 572 chairs. Uh, but before we got into the new building campaign, because we needed to raise a lot of money, um, we felt like God told us to give our old building away. <laughs> and so we told our uh, lenders that, hey, we're going to give our building away. And they weren't very excited. And they said, uh, well, uh, you can't do that because you don't own it. We do. And you still owe us a lot of money on that building. So when we told our people, though, on the weekend, and all seven services said, we're going to give our building away to another church in town that's trying to raise money. And they all stood up and cheered. Like, yeah, that's because it just felt like another bottle of water to give away. It was like, yeah, that's what we do. And then when we told them that we needed to pay it off first and they need a lot of money from you, then I sat down they got quiet because that's how it works in churches. Now, someday you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to get out of this building, folks. Give away everything you got and make it happen. And we've cashed in several times at our place. Anyway. That's another story, and I shouldn't have even said that, should I? <laughs> so, so, uh, so then it was, well, can we just teach our people, instead of this being like a church program, things that you do, just that becomes a lifestyle of just serving others. So I got a great email a while back from a young single mom who we would describe as de-churched, and um, she had left church, you know, left the whole church thing years ago, and uh, failed to see any kind of relevance in religion for her day-to-day living. And, and so, uh, so I got this email from her because she had started coming to the vineyard. Uh, and she'd been coming for a couple of years, and she got baptized, um, and she wanted to send me an email about her baptism, which is very cool, how excited she was about to be following Jesus. And she had two little guys, two little boys, and and uh, we loved the email so much that we tracked her down. Her name was Stephanie. And uh, you'll never guess what it was that brought Stephanie to Jesus. So, um, and, but even more amazing is just the rest of Stephanie's story. So uh, we would have never guessed it. So when people make their peace with God, you know, it allows them to do remarkable things that maybe they would have never done before. So I wanted you to hear Stephanie's story. And this is what she told us. I've had my kids young. Um, I had my first one when I was 19. 
I have a great job and they're great to me, but I live check to check like most people. It was, you know, the end of the week, haven't gotten paid yet, and I was tired, and it was a Friday, and I was just like, oh, we'll go through McDonald's, and, you know, I decided to get them something, because I knew I had enough for them, and got up to the window to pay, and the lady said, the car in front of you paid for you, um, you're good to go, and I said, you know, are, are you sure? And she was like, oh, yeah, but he wanted me to give you this, and it was a vineyard card, and afterwards I kind of stopped the car and was very overwhelmed because no one's ever done that and it just felt like I really felt God and I've never felt God before and so for a long time I looked at that card in my car and you know always wanted to check out the vineyard and um, eventually got up the courage to come and check it out and um, I've loved it ever since so I work um at a manufacturer, and um, I'm in charge of a lot of things, but one of the things I'm in charge of is the drivers. And one of my drivers, we've worked together for about nine years now, and he's an older guy. And um, lately, at the beginning of the year, he started having some health issues, and he wouldn't really tell us what was going on. He just, you know, the doctor's appointment, and then it was, I'm in the, they admitted me in the hospital, I'll be fine. and. I'm like, what's going on? You know, and he wasn't saying anything. It was just like, oh, you know, I had some water in my lungs and this and that. So um, we finally realized that his kidneys were shutting down and um, he had to go on dialysis. And um, so he went on dialysis and then they said that, you know, he needed to have a kidney transplant. And um, <laughs> I just, I couldn't believe it because he, he, just act like it was, you know, nothing, you know. He was like, well, next Tuesday I'm going to go down and see about a kidney. And I'm like, what? Like, are you serious? You don't just go shopping for kidneys, you know. And um, he was like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. And I'm like, okay. So um, he came back, and he didn't really say anything about it. And I said, so how did it go? And he said, um, well, you know, with my age and um you know, it doesn't, they said it'd be about six years, and it didn't look very good, and I was like, well, that's a long time to be on dialysis, and I was like, well, I'll give you my kidney, and he was like, what, you know, like, whatever, so we kind of, like, left at that, and the next day, um, we were at work, and he came up, and he said, were you serious about giving me your kidney, and I said, well, yeah, I said, if I'm a match, I said, of course, and he just cried, and he gave me all the information, and um, again, I was like, well, I don't know if I'm a match because, you know, we were no blood relation. And um, so I went down. I didn't tell work what I was doing because I wasn't sure how they'd feel. And um, we, I went down, got tested, and they called me on a Friday, and they said, you're a match. And I was like, I just cried. I was like, I couldn't believe that, um, that it was meant to be, you know, that I really could help him. I've, I have never been scared through this whole process. And um, a lot of people ask me, my family, um, especially my dad. I know it was God keeping me peaceful about it because I've never had to ask or, you know, question it. It was just I knew it was right. Hmm. Is that crazy or what? So uh, one one day you're a pagan, and then uh, someone buys your kids a Happy Meal, the car in front of you at McDonald's, and goes on and just leaves a little card that has the church name on it and that's you go from that to giving your kidney away you know only god can can make up a story like that
Only God can arrange that chain of events for a single mom to give her kidney to a 70-year-old guy. That's how old he was. Like, wow. Wow. So a few years ago, we came up with these little cards, these little scratch-off cards. And when you scratch it off, the card just says, get over yourself. And it was like a lottery in reverse. You all buy lottery tickets? No, you're not going to admit that in the church, are you? I had a guy, had a guy in my church who was a professional uh, poker player. He was a developer, a land developer, but he uh, played poker professionally. And he asked me one day, he says, what do you think, what do you, what do you think about gambling? He says, I said, well, it depends on what you think about tithing. So uh, I left it there. <laughs> so we had these cards, and uh, you scratch them off, and instead of getting winning something, it was something you had to do for someone else. So it was like, you know, buy a you know, single parent family a pizza or, you know, rake someone's leaves in their yard or whatever, you know. But, or one of them was buy the gas at the pump next to you. And so there's people are scratching those off, and they're trying to trade those. They're trying to get rid of the gas <laughs> pump things. I'll take two pizzas for the, you know, whatever. So, but there's no shortage of ways that you can serve people and extend the kingdom of God when you begin to develop an outward-focused view of life. Then you start getting crazy, you know. We, uh, Cincinnati hosts this thing called the Victory of Light Psychic Fair. It comes to the convention center. It's one of the biggest psychic fairs in the country. And, uh, and the way it works is psychics and mediums and astrologers and all these other people, they come and they set up their booths and they promote their uh, services and sell them there at the convention center. And it's everything from, you know, like run-of-the-mill palm reading to special cameras that can photograph your aura and so forth. So it's one of the largest things. So as many of you know, the Bible has very specific things to say about that kind of occultic activity, and it's not positive. So often you'll see it's stuff like this. You'll see Christians with bullhorns out front. Telling people they're going to hell, you know, they go in here. So we took a different approach. We got a booth inside the psychic fair. And the deal is they don't allow uh, churches <laughs> to have booths in the psychic fair. So we sneaked in under this thing called the healing center. It's this, uh, faci- this facility we built that just meets people's needs you know, in Cincinnati. And so there's always a way to serve people. So we sneaked in. We figured, why not bring the power of the kingdom of God here? So we had a booth made with a big banner that said, it said, the healing prayer and dream interpretation. And uh, so for years, like you guys, we prayed for sick people. But I asked the uh, director of prayer ministries at that time, uh, Karen, I said, uh, do we know how to interpret dreams? She said, no, but we're learning fast. And, our, you know, the standard vineyard prayer, you know, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, please, you know. So the responses were incredible, and we had people come back to the booth, our booth, several times, saying they felt the strongest vibrations there. And uh, some people got healed, some people felt terrific heat, uh, uh, back stuff. I mean, it was awesome, and we were shocked. But here's the reality: many of those folks are God seekers; they just don't know the God who's looking for them. And so that's our job: is to seek and save those which are lost. That's our primary job as the church, right? Uh, so, and the best part was, of course, you know, our booth was free. Everything was free, which made the other vendors uh, upset on either side of us. But we figured, hey, they're psychics. They should have seen that one coming. We, you know, <laughs> and then we, we gave away uh, fortune cookies. We had fortune cookies at our booth. And we found this company, you can print your own fortunes and have them stuffed in the cookies really cheap. So we had different uh, things, you know, maybe a foster thing or a Jesus, whatever. So uh, anyway, uh, we just thought it was funny having fortune cookies. 
psychic prayer. But perhaps that's just me. So to love people into the kingdom, uh, we don't have to be smart. You know, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all your apologetics all, you know, nice and neat and tidy and so forth. We just have to be available. That's all. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s favorite quote, he said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to, to, uh, to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Well, I can do that. Now, I'm not a smart guy. I can do that. One day, Jesus tells a story about a guy, a farmer, planting seeds. And the style was you just had a big bag of seeds and you just fling them everywhere. You can, you can read it for yourself in Mark 4. But, but, and he didn't seem to care where the seeds fell. So some fell on rocky ground, some fell on, you know, among thorns and so forth, right? And Jesus describes four different types of soil in that story, right? Four different types of soil. And the amazing thing is only one type bore fruit. It bore fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. It was pretty good. But when you think about that, that's a 75% failure rate, right? That's only a 25% success rate. But the ROI was 30, 60, and a, and a hundredfold. If a 75% failure rate is good enough for Jesus, it's got to be good enough for me. Right? But, the, the, but what it means is that we just have to scatter a lot more seeds. We just, the good news is that we have tons of seed to scatter, right? We have lots of seeds. It says in Romans 5.5, 5, I like Peterson's uh, paraphrase of this in the message, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do I have that slide? Yeah, that's a great one. And he says, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have loads of seeds of love, of grace, of power, of forgiveness, of kindness, of mercy. Yeah, Paul the Apostle, he, he's writing to his friends in Philippi. Help plant the church there. He, he, he writes to them and he says, you know, your attitude should be the same that, that Christ Jesus had. That though he was God, he didn't demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took upon himself the humble position of a servant and appeared in human form. Even dying, he goes on to say, even dying a criminal's death on the cross. My question is, how did we miss that, church? When did the church, when did it all become about us? Oh, you didn't like that worship song. I don't like that. Oh, the pastor's message was so, so. When did it become about us, the consumer? How did, how did we miss this? Followers of Jesus have the same DNA of Jesus because they're the same spirit. Jesus, you know, we, the same spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so we were born to serve. We are our happiest, our most fulfilled when we serve the mission of the church, the great mission of the church. I told the vineyard one weekend, we should all get tattoos that say that, you know, about serving. And, and as a matter of fact, I just got a new tattoo. Would you like to see it? I've been working out, Rob. Doing a little workout. You've got to learn Photoshop, Rob. You have got <laughs> it's way too much fun. Just leave that up. My wife loves that. <laughs> totally creeps her out. Totally creeps her out. 
<laughs> Sacrifice, brother, for the kingdom. Uh, I'll tell you one more. Can I tell you one more story? Do I have time for that story? Can I show this video? Do I have time for that? Okay. You're, you're the boss. You can do whatever you want. Okay. One of our uh, staff people. Yeah, you can take that picture off some way. I don't know how, but... <laughs> Thank you. One of our uh, staff people, um, she was just a, she was raised in a Christian home, good Christian kid growing up, you know, very active. She was well-liked. And then she, um, in her high school year, she contracted a disease. And she ended up having nearly uh, 20 surgeries to remove tumors that kept growing in her neck. And uh, she missed over uh, 200 days of her high school experience. Can you imagine that? And at one point, the nerves in her face uh, stopped working right, and she found herself slurring her words and uh, drooling at times. And just, you know, imagine, you know, your average high school, uh, there's a unique cruelty that high school kids have. And um, so because of missing so much school, she was put back then in what was called the slow classes, the slow classes. So during that experience, she felt like God spoke to her and said, don't forget this time. So she, years later, she's recovered. You, you really can't tell anything. And um, years passed, and she came on our staff. She became the instigator for a big party that we threw. And she wanted to throw this party called the prom for uh, aimed at special needs adults. And uh, you'll see her in the video. The prom is kind of like the anti-prom. Uh, when we all went to the prom in high school, the people who were celebrated the most were the, the pretty people, the people who had it all together, uh, seemingly. Uh, this prom was to elevate and celebrate the people who, uh, who got forgotten. Um, we wanted to eliminate any barriers for folks to feel like they could come and have a great time. And our thought was, you know, hey, if someone got invited to the prom, they're going to want to have something nice to wear. And we don't want them to think, oh, I don't have anything nice to wear and I can't afford it, so I can't come. We ended up having over 1,200 dresses and suits donated. Uh, and it appears that all the bridesmaids' dresses this side of the Mississippi landed in my office. We had one girl who tried on 22 dresses uh, because she could and because she had a personal shopper before she finally landed on this really nice purple number. Um, but it was just really cool to watch how even ahead of time we could see the momentum building in a community as folks got really excited and invited their friends. We decided that we wanted to pick a theme because most high school prompts have a theme and uh, the first thing that came to mind for everybody was just an evening with the stars. We wanted folks as they arrived to feel like they were Brangelina or <laughs> they were um, right there in Hollywood on the red carpet at the Chinese theater arriving like stars. Are you allowed to tell us who the big star is? I'm a special needs person. I'm here to party, honey. Can we talk to you, Barb? Do you have time? I know you're a big star and everything. I don't want to get, you know. Are you excited about this evening? Yes, I am. Because <laughs> I'm going to have a blast. Where did you get this gown? We designed the event to be like prom and after prom in tandem. So all the events went on at the same time uh, so that people had the freedom to float throughout. Uh. 
We wanted to make sure that everyone felt included and everyone felt valued. We had games that happened all night long with uh, people staffing all of them in shifts. We had deal or no deal that had ongoing um, signups for people to participate. We had dancing uh, and entertainment in the gym. Our original thought was we would have, uh, our, our goal was to have 600 guests. Well, God had bigger plans, and we ended up with 800 guests, and we had upwards of about a thousand volunteers here that night. There was no one left uh, unattended and uncared for. You know, in high school, everybody wonders who's going to be prom king and prom queen. Well, that's not how it works at God's prom. At God's prom, we are all sons and daughters of the king. We are all uh, prom king and prom queen. Well. One of the things that made me fall in love with this place was our, our mission statement. And one thing that we talk about is loving the people of Cincinnati and the relationship with, uh, with God. And like, there's no turning back now that you've met these people and that. They have a face, they have a name, they have a story. What do we do with that? I would love for next year at prom that it would be really difficult for me to do the escort thing because there would be so many people who are waiting for a specific person when they arrived uh, that we wouldn't even have to do that random pairing that we would have so many relationships that Maybe instead of our folks being dropped off in buses, they are being picked up at home by their friends. I think this event was really important because it opened our eyes to the fact that maybe the picture of what community looks like was incomplete. That we were missing some really important folks. I just felt like, you know, in the midst of the evening news, which seems so hopeless, like there's war and people are dying and the market's crashing, but in the midst of all that on a Friday night in Cincinnati, God is alive and He is on the move and He's invited us along, like that there is hope, that there are good things that can happen in times of trouble. Um, I just was overwhelmed to see that God would choose us to do that. Kind of fun, isn't it? Yeah. I got a, an email from a, a church in each leader's backyard of their house and just invited one group home. It's only about a dozen people, I think. And they had a Western theme barbecue. I said, in England, does that work? But it was a blast. We were all wearing cowboy hats and had fun. <laughs> the reality is that we, you know, when we when we talk about evangelism across the full spectrum, you know, from leading people across the line of faith into relationship with Jesus, or or systemic injustices, you know, being shattered by the kingdom of God, the most powerful experiences are when we put ourselves in the shoes of someone else, and when we feel what they feel. That's incarnational Christianity. That's, that's, when, that's when we really want justice 
or we really want mercy or we want wholeness to come. It's what Jesus did by becoming one of us and slipping into our into your human skin and walking around in our Nikes. It's what he's doing by living in you right now. And I believe that he expects us to do the same with the people around us. Because once you begin to feel what others feel, it's natural that you want them to know the God who loves them and who can transform them and can fill that void. So the question I would leave you with is, how's your outward focus? C.S. Lewis, he describes humility as being a self-forgetfulness. It's not being, oh, I'm just a worm, I can't do anything. It's a forgetting of the self. How's your outward focus? Are you, are you really ready to become part of a real servant uh, community? Are we, uh, are we serious about wanting to become whole people ourselves? No. Do we really want to change our cities? Do we really want to change the community? And the reality check is it, just, it starts with me and it starts with you. So let's pray. Father, I invite you to come in the power of your Holy Spirit in this place, God. And uh, we feel such a kinship with the people here, God. Thank you for that. Got to pray that anything, anything at all that you've given the vineyard in Cincinnati that's come from you and that's anything that's good that you would double here. That you would impart that here in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for just a fresh breaking of our hearts for lost people. Across the spectrum, God, across the socioeconomic spectrum, across racial barriers, across every thing that we can think of, God, that you would break our hearts for people who are far, far, far away from you. And God, that you would put that same spirit in us that you have. You who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And forgive us, God, for being about ourselves. Forgive us for being spiritual consumers, God. God, to amp up the outward focusness in each one of us, Father. Come in your power in the name of Jesus. Fall in this place in Jesus' name. Come. Break our hearts, oh God. Break our hearts. Expand our vision, God. Mm. Father, let us not be satisfied with the status quo, God. Expand our hearts and our vision, our understanding of what you want to do in Hopkinton, Cincinnati, Boston. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.